One of my favorite lines in all of the gospel is that I came that they may have life and life abundantly. St. Irenaeus says it so clearly. The great joy of God is when we're fully alive. And today we are given images to help us live that life that we are called. And it's, of course, the image of of the shepherd, of all the images in the scriptures. We find it in the Old Testament, the New Testament. And not only that of the shepherd, but also of the lamb. The shepherd is also the Lamb of God who lays down his life for the sheep. And so today we, we take a, a look at, 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 at these images, even though they're, they're really strange to us. I, I've never really met a shepherd. The closest I got was when I was in Israel visiting uh, literally a, a, a place where, where the sheep and the cows and the cats and the dogs lived in the same house with the people as it was in the stable in Jesus' time. And all I can think of at that time was the, the quote of, of, of Francis, who says, the, the shepherd need to have the smell of the sheep. Relationship, relationship, relationship. How close can you get? I'm not quite sure how a sheep really should smell. But we have to be close enough to smell it. And, and the reason is because, well, the shepherds come from the sheep. Uh, I, I said at the beginning of Mass today, and I believe it strongly, we, we seem to think that the shepherd is here, the sheep are down here. No, 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 they are in intimate relationship with each other. There is a mutuality. The shepherd needs the sheep, and the sheep need the shepherd. And, and so I think we're all called. And I said, but we all have a vocation. We're all called to be shepherded and to shepherd. And, and to do what, what the shepherd calls us to do. The greatest condemnation in the scriptures, both in, in the Old Testament and Ezekiel especially, and then of course with Jesus, and then if you read St. Augustine, the greatest condemnation is the condemnation for bad shepherds, those who feed themselves for, for the sake of themselves and use their sheep. And we've had a, a history of bad shepherds all the way through history. And Augustine just screams and yells at them in the office of readings throughout September. And, of course, Jesus calls them whitened sepulchers. They, they look all nice on the outside, but inside there's all kinds of rotting things. Because they're not doing the job of the shepherd. What's the work of the shepherd? What, what, what work are we who are shepherding? We share all that ministry of shepherding. What work are we called to do? John read this, or sang for us so beautifully, the, the 23rd Psalm today. Uh, we know that basically by heart because we hear it so much. Of all the psalms, it's the, probably the number one psalm. And the psalmist tells us that there are two things we need to do to be a good shepherd. One is to feed the sheep, make sure the sheep are fed. And two to protect them against the wolf, to protect them against the anxiety and fear and hatred and evil of the world. So it's a, it's a two-fold job we are called to do, and the good shepherd is called to do for us as a model. As we heard in the second reading, he's gone before us. We follow him, and that means we're going to follow him all the way through, not only in the easy things, but in the difficult things as well, and the suffering things as well. Why? The abundant life. 
The goal is the abundant life. I came that they might have life and life abundantly. So let's take a look at the two things the shepherd is called to do. First, to, to feed his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In verdant pastures, he gives me repose. Besides restful waters, he leads me. Jesus says this so very clearly, especially as he continues the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. He says, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. The pagans seek after this all the time. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be given to you besides. And yet the cynic in us, and there's a little bit of cynic in each and every one of us, says, that's easy for you to say, and it's easy for us to read, but how does that, how does that match with the incredible hunger that we find in the world today and the hatred that we find in the world today and the wars that we find in the world today and, and the causes of, of those who literally are not only going to be going to bed hungry today, we're told that maybe, maybe two-thirds of the world goes to bed hungry, and literally those, especially those in the Sudan right now, are starving to death. Not literally enough to survive. How do we how do we rectify that with what we say? And what's the cause of that? And, and I dare say, it's bad shepherding. Whether it is a spiritual shepherd or a corporate shepherd or a political shepherd who are feeding themselves rather than their sheep, there's enough to feed the world. We are not short of resources. I even heard Elon Musk say the other day, we even have enough water if we are willing to spend the time and the effort and the energy to desalinize, to desalinize the oceans because there is fresh water. We can make it fresh. It's the will that we seem to be lacking. Why? Because we dare to believe the great lie, and the great lie, and Buckminster Fuller once says the reason that we have wars is because we believe the great lie that there's not enough for thee and for me. So first and foremost, I'm going to take care of me. We need to feed each other. To feed each other. We're also be called to, to feed on the word of God. That is, the, you all have come, come here today to, to eat, to be fed. Jesus says it so beautifully. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so when you gather together to be fed, not only at the Eucharistic table, as a Christian community coming together as family, as community, you've got, you've got three very basic rights in addition to the reception of Holy Communion, to be in communion with God and communion with each other. And that's to be welcomed be welcomed at the doorway, and, and there is no more welcoming community than the Wheaton Franciscans where we come to worship every Sunday and also sometimes during the week. We are very, very welcome. So you've got a right to be, to be welcomed. Said so you belong here. You belong here. This is your home. The other thing you, we, I think we have a right to, because Augustine says it clearly, the one who prays, the one who sings, prays twice, we've got a right to good music. And if we have anything good here, we've got some really, really good music. And then you've got a right to a well-prepared, delivered homily. Meh. <laughs> I, no. No. 
There was supposed to be a throwaway line. <laughs> but th those are our rights. See, you got, uh, Jesus tells us that, uh, that, 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 that we, we deserve to be fed. We deserve to be fed. And the best way to feed is to literally feed each other. The second work of the shepherd is to protect us from the wolf. Even though I walk through the valley of darkness, I fear no evil. And I, I, there, there's no way anymore in the world in which we are living today that we can deny the evil of the world. It is rearing its ugly head in ways that I cannot remember from my childhood. We see it every day. Uh, another five people were, were shot and killed. And they're looking for the murderer right now. And, and the evil of the greed, the greed is enough for our need, but not for our greed. The greed that says, well, we will keep on selling these weapons of destruction so that we can, we can grow fat, which makes us afraid. Why are we so afraid? Especially when we hear the number one sentence in the scriptures is be not afraid. I'm told that it, it appears over 365 times in the scriptures. That's one for every day of the week, of the year. And yet we, we are filled with anxiety. We are filled with fear. And the question I keep asking myself is, why so much fear? And the answer I come back with almost always is, because it works. If you want to motivate somebody and you've got love and you've got fear, oh, let me tell you, the one that's going to motivate faster is fear. Love lures. Love entices. Love calls. Love is beautiful, so you are, you are enticed into love. Fear calls us into ourself and closes us down to build up a wall against the other so that we feel that we are safe, but there are no walls that will make us safe. There are no hundred clips that are going to make us safe. There are no AR-15s that are going to make us safe. That is the illusion that we are given, and the greatest fear that we are called to be afraid of is each other. Oh, you want to control somebody, we know the plan, the plan of the bad shepherd. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Oh, you want to be afraid? Be very, very afraid. And yet, and yet, what does Jesus do? He, he, he addresses fear directly. He says, you want to be afraid? Don't be afraid of the one who could uh, kill the body and not touch the soul. You want to be afraid? I'll give you something to be afraid of. Be afraid of the one who can kill the body and then throw the soul into Gehenna. Are you scared now? I'm shaking in my boots. And then what does he say? Forget it. Forget it. A sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without our Heavenly Father knowing it. Are you not worth more than a thousand sparrows. Every last hair on your head is counted. And for some of us, as I've said, it's simpler than for others. <laughs> if our Heavenly Father takes care of the sparrows and takes care of, of our hair on our head, how much more will he take care of us, O oh, little faith? Why are we so 
petrified, and yet, and yet we are. So what's the antidote to the anxiety and the fear that we find ourselves living in today? And there, there's a, a wonderful, wonderful antidote. One of my, my, my favorite memories, and I don't know if I've ever shared this with you or not, but it was the memory of, of when I was a small child of about, oh, I don't think I was over four years old, maybe five at the oldest. And my father had his arms like this, and I was inside his arms. And I can remember rocking to the right, and he'd catch me, then rocking to the left, and he'd catch me. And at that point, I knew that the cosmos was safe. The universe was safe. I could not fall through my father's arms. Well, by analogy, we are told that we cannot fall through the arms of the great love that will hold us. Do we dare to believe that? It's like the child who's on the burning house and the smoke is coming up and it can't see and the father is down below and says, jump, I will catch you, I promise you, I will not let you fall. And the child says, I can't see you. And the father says, I know, I know, but I can see you, so jump, so come down. There's a, there's a, base that we cannot fall through. One of my favorite authors, Annie Dillard, puts it this way when she, she wrote the, the wonderful story of teaching stones to walk. Here, here's how she puts it. And she, first of all, names the terror. The deeps are, are, are the violence and the terror of which psychology has warned us. Below the surface, below our surface anxiety, there's something even worse, even scarier. And that is that we will we'll fall through and we'll never stop falling. She goes on to say, but, but if you ride these monsters deeper down, if you drop with them farther over the world's rim, if you go all the way down, we are called to look at the pain all the way through and ride it all the way down. Here's what you'll find. You will find what our, our science cannot locate or name. You're going to find the, the substrate, the ocean or matrix or ether which buoys up the rest. There is, there is a point with which you cannot go through any farther. You are safe. She then finishes by saying this, which gives goodness its power for good. It is the unified field, our complex and inexplicable caring for each other and for our life together here. There, at the core, when we get down to the deepest part, there's absolutely nothing to be afraid of. You're going to be held. In the last two, three-word sentences, I think, says it all. She finishes by saying this. This is given. This is not learned. It's a given. 
Now, we need to fall into it, but once we fall into it, we are going to be, we already are, we just don't always know it just fine. The poet and theologian John Shea used to tell, once told the story of, of his mother uh, being driven to the funeral of her brother. And she was uh, unusually quiet. He was not speaking very much because she always would talk about the mourning and the grieving of losing her husband and, and losing her parents. And, and here she was saying nothing. And finally, as they, as they approached the, the church where the funeral was about to be celebrated, she turned to her son and she said, I'm no longer afraid. There is no more fear. She'd reached that spot. And he said after her, after that, she, was, she really was a different person. She really was so much more sanguine about the life in which she was living. Why? She's being held. Oh, the good shepherd calls us by name. We follow the good shepherd all the way down, all the way through the cross to be held in the place where nothing, no thing, no one, can harm us. This indeed is good news.